Joshua chapter 5. Israel has made their miraculous crossing of the flooded Jordan. They've set up memorials, uh, stones on the banks of the Jordan. They also set up 12 stones, a stone from each tribe, in the middle of the riverbed that no one could see, but God could see them, and they're a private devotion of Israel to God. God cares what we do in private. He watches us. He loves us. He wants our religion, our worship to be pure, and he cares how we act and behave. But Israel, they they now find themselves camped out across the Jordan, but they're right next to the uh, city of Jericho. God again has parted the waters for them. First, God parted the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt, but now he parts the Jordan for them to go into the promised land. So let's read about this uh, effect that the crossing of the Jordan has upon the people that occupy the land of Canaan. So we look at verses 1 through 10 in chapter 5 of Joshua. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons who he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. The inhabitants of Israel hear 
or not Israel, the inhabitants of Canaan, hear how God has dried up the raging river. Just hearing that news caused them to fear and their hearts melted when they considered Israel. They no longer, these inhabitants, have a spirit to resist Israel who now has come into their land two and a half million strong. They understand that God now fights for Israel. And he fights in this way. He stops the raging of the Jordan River when it's in flood stage and lets his people cross on dry ground. And the tribes of the Amorites and the Canaanites, they fully realize we are a defeated people. Therefore, their hearts melt. Now, every now and then, we have this happen in sporting events. And it can happen in, uh, in particular in football when one team dominates another. Three years ago, Alabama defeated Notre Dame for the national championship. And all the hype that built up to this game was is really tremendous. But you could see the life go out of Notre Dame when they were simply overmatched. Their hearts melted, and Alabama won an easy game. But now God wants Joshua to circumcise all the men of Israel, those that have been born in the wilderness over the last 40 years. Circumcision is a covenant between God and Israel, and it's an unseen covenant. It's a very personal covenant. And any Orthodox Orthodox Jew, today he's circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And this goes all the way back to this time. But before Israel is to take the land, God declares to Joshua, get this circumcision covenant in order among your people in the camp. Joshua obeys. They take, he takes flint knives, and, <clears throat> and Israel is circumcised, and now they wait there until they're healed before they do anything else. And in verse 6, we see God has waited for the men of war that came out of Egypt. He's waited for them to be consumed, and he has literally waited for them to die off where they can now go in and possess the land. And the reason they have to die off is because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Strong penalty. Disobey, die. We have a few unconditional promises by God to us in Scripture. Most covenants require obedience on our part or upon the part of God's people for that covenant to be in force. Even the Abrahamic, you like that? Covenant, which is considered a done deal covenant, 
we find Abraham is obedient even in that covenant. In verse 6, God promised to the fathers of Israel he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. God made this promise to those that came out of Egypt. But the disobedience of those that came out of Egypt causes God to nullify the covenant. God says, nope, not going to do it. You had a responsibility to obey me, and you have not obeyed me. And these fathers, they die, and they die off there in the wilderness, and they're not allowed to cross the Jordan. They're not allowed to enter into the promised land, not allowed to enter into God's blessings because of their disobedience. I can't help but make an analogy to Christian America today when I read this. We find many people, even evangelicals, desiring God's blessings. I'm among them. I want God's blessing upon my life. But here's the thing. You can't live in disobedience and expect God to bless you for that. After 9-11, there was a national cry that went up for God to bless America. We heard political speeches. We heard songs that were written. And it was Christian America desiring the blessings of God. What we did not see, if you remember... We did not see or hear of any repentance. No smoting of the breast, no sackcloth and ashes, no crying out to God, you know, we have sinned against you, Lord, forgive us. We've come against you in all ways. But rather the cry was, God bless us regardless. We will continue in our sinful way, but we want you to bless us, God. But God is a just God, and he's full of mercy and grace, but our Lord refuses to bless disobedience. You can write that one down. He will not bless you in the midst of your disobedience. God's holy character requires that he be just. And when a man or when society sins and refuses to repent, God is left with no choice but to render justice. And we see in verse 6, God refused to allow these disobedient men of war, the grown men, to even see the land of promise. They cannot cross. They cannot go And even see it. God took Moses to a high place and let him see it. These men that were disobedient, they're not even allowed to see the promised land. But now we have a new generation. And they're circumcised and they're waiting to heal up there. And they're camped out by Jericho. Before they take the land, though, God wants obedience from them. It took Forty years for Israel to come to the land of promise. Forty years. That's a two, maybe two and a half week walk from Egypt to the promised land. 
40 years. <laughs> Could, can you say we're going in circles? <laughs> and it also took God 40 years to remove Egypt, a type of sin, from his people. A whole generation dies off. And the first holiday that Israel observes is Passover, and that's on the 14th day of the month. And that's when God rolled away the reproach of Egypt from his people at Gilgal. And Gilgal simply means a rolling away, God removing. Religious holidays serve a purpose in our lives. They're there as reminders of the goodness of God to us. I like the Christmas holidays. I like Easter holidays. I like Thanksgiving. I like the holidays that the Christian church observes. But recently, a Muslim group here in America asked the civil authorities of their area if they would stop observing Christmas holidays because the Muslims found observing Christmas was offensive to them. Oh, man, all I can say is too bad. <laughs> but let's look at verses 11 through 15. And they ate of the produce of the land on that day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain, on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The day after, the very next day, that they eat the produce of the land of Cana, manna stops. Manna has been given to Israel for 40 years. For 40 years, they've been fed by God. And for 40 years, you didn't have to worry about where your next meal was coming from. For 40 years, yeah, you got tired of manna. You wanted other things to eat, but the staple of your diet was there. How many recipes for manna do you think the children of Israel had? Manna soup. Manna and meatballs. Fried manna, boiled manna, grilled manna. Manna cakes. Manna any way you can have it. <laughs> And you know they devised many different ways to eat manna. But then it stops. And let me draw your attention now to verses 13 through 15. We find Joshua and he's there. And I think he's observing 
and surveying Jericho and its high walls, and he's considering how are we going to take this high-walled protected city. For Joshua, his training has been to be a man of war. He was in uh, West Point. He was in God's Army General School. And while surveying Jericho, Joshua finds a man who stands opposite him. And this man apparently has a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua wants an answer as to who this man is. And so he asks, are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua receives an answer. No. What kind of answer is that? <laughs> no, Joshua, none of the above. When everlasting God, in the form of Jesus, the commander of the army, answers, No, Joshua, you have not asked the right or a proper question. Now, I'm sure that in my prayers, I have asked questions of God that probably a lot more ridiculous than Joshua's. The question by Joshua is really not worthy of a reply from God. Therefore, Joshua only hears, he only receives no. Oftentimes, we will hear people uh, proclaim or instructors of some sort say, there's no such thing as a bad question. Well, Joshua just asked a bad question, and he got his answer, no. In our court systems, attorneys are not to allow, are not allowed to ask questions whether yes or no is a condemning answer. Example, sir, do you still beat your wife? You can't answer yes to that, and you can't answer no to that. Either answer is condemning. And so we have to look at the question of Joshua and try to reason why did Jesus just simply tell him no? Which brings up a, a subject. Be careful when you ask someone for a favor that you give, the, uh, give them the option to say no. Allow that person you're asking a favor of, allow them to be able to say no to you. Example, what are you doing next Sunday morning or Saturday morning? That can be a loaded question. The person who asks this question is attempting to get you to commit to whatever they ask you. Because as soon as you say nothing, they gotcha. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Oh. I answer, why? What's up? <laughs> I have asked and will continue to ask you people all the time to serve and do things around here. But let me tell you a secret. I can handle no. You tell me no if you don't want to do it. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, 
And don't give me, though, well, let me pray about it. That's just another way of saying no to me. <laughs> Either you want to do it or you don't want to do it, you know. Joshua's question is completely out of line, and Jesus simply says no. Now, let me make a case for this being Jesus. This is a true theophany, an appearance of God or a Jesus in the Old Testament. Because Joshua falls on his face before this commander of the army, and he worships this man or Jesus. He worships him. And we find in the book of Revelation how John, the revelator, he falls down to worship an angel, and he is told by that angel, do not do this. Angels do not receive worship. I think the angels have a great fear of receiving worship from mankind. Because you remember, Satan covets the worship of mankind. And so an angel, a good angel, he fears that any man would worship him. In Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 5, John the apostle hears a voice from the throne of God. The voice says, Praise our God, all you servants, small and great. And then the voice of this angel has a message for John. Write this down, John. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. John hears this message. He promptly falls at the feet of this angel to worship. But the angel stops him and says, See that you do not do that, John. I am your fellow servant, your brethren, and I have testimony of Jesus. And then he says, worship God only. In Joshua 5.14, this commander of the Lord's army receives worship from Joshua. This tells us that this is our Lord. He receives worship, a thing that an angel would never do. I definitely believe God's angels are afraid to receive worship. You have to know that they witnessed what happened to Satan, who coveted worship. Satan was cast out of heaven for just wanting to be lifted up, wanting worship, and he's cast out of heaven for that. But after Joshua worships Jesus, Joshua has another question. It's like he comes to his senses. And the question is not, are you for our adversaries, Lord? No longer does Joshua question Jesus as to which team Jesus is on. Are you for us or our adversaries? But now Joshua is more than willing to have God speak to him whatever God desires. And that's take off your sandal, Joshua. For the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua obeys. Joshua 
in his prideful, humanistic mindset, he asked God, are you for us or against us? Now Joshua declares, I will worship and obey God, and I will align myself with God. What a difference. Not are you for me, God, but now let me align myself with you. God has a plan for each and every Christian, for all of mankind for that matter. And you have to align yourself with him. He is not going to align himself with you. That's why he tells Joshua, no, you got it backwards, Joshua. Jesus and God the Father proved at the cross their unconditional love for man. No greater love has ever been shown than that Jesus went to the cross for sinful man, proving how he is for us. So it's a foolish question when we ask, are you for us, God? So what's the great question? Are you and I for our Lord God? Do we align ourselves with him? Do we seek his will over our will? Are we in the camp of God or do we resist him? Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, I think sometimes there's a lot of Jacob in me. How I wrestle with your wisdom, with your ways over my own ways. I want you to forgive me, Lord, for resisting you. And Lord, I want to pray for myself and I want to pray for these, your people, that they would align themselves with you, understanding that your ways are above our ways, that your ways are good, and that you desire that we live in an abundant, prosperous life, but as our soul prospers, you desire that. So, Lord, let us put aside all disobedience in our heart and life and cleave to you, cling to you, Lord, the one who created us, the one who has a good plan for us, let us find ourselves aligning ourselves with you and your will. Do a work in our hearts, Lord. Bring this about as we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. And we pray for this, and we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.